Welcome to The Milk Diaries, the podcast for moms who want to learn to trust their bodies and breastfeed with radical joy and confidence. We'll share stories of overcoming breastfeeding challenges and break free of those status quo narratives. Okay, here we go. Second episode of The Milk Diaries. First topical episode. And I am very excited. Today we are going to talk about, we're going to debunk the breastfeeding is overrated message, I guess. Or the benefits of breastfeeding are overblown. I know that's something we hear on social media all the time. So I wanted to chat about it and where that came from. First, thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. I I really want to get the podcast started off on the right foot. And I would love it if you subscribed, left a review after listening to the first two. I'm gearing up to do a giveaway related to the podcast. And what you can do in order to win is fill out the form that I'm going to put in the show notes with, you know, your name, your email, and I would love it if you subscribed and took a screenshot of either in Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Just take a screenshot showing you're subscribed. You can get an extra entry showing that you left a review. And I will put your name in a drawing for some giveaways. I'm still trying to work out, you know, what the giveaways are going to be. Uh, maybe some discounts on some of my programs or some other breastfeeding goodies go over to my Instagram to see details but take a look in the show notes and click on that link and please show me that you subscribed show me that you left a review and you'll be entered to win okay cool so let's talk about the breastfeeding is overrated myth okay so I'm sure you realize that you can find any sort of study to (laughs) defend anything that you want, basically. So first, let's talk about why people want to see studies and data to show them that breastfeeding is beneficial. I think it has to do with the whole trust in science sort of thing, which is weird because obviously there's tons of science about why breastfeeding is beneficial, but, you know, it has to do with data-based parenting, logical parenting, which I got to be honest, to an extent I like, it, it feels great to just have someone tell you this is the right thing. And a lot of people look to studies and quote-unquote evidence and evidence-based parenting A lot of people look to that to just be like, this is correct. This is right. This is the right thing to do. If that doesn't jive with you, that's fine. You might look to your instincts and, you know, it was confusing to me. That's why I started my account because it was like, oh my God, in parenting, there is no right thing. So, and that's why I started thinking about instinctually what is, what are we supposed to quote unquote be doing And I think a lot of people, that obviously does not fit into our our modern society, you know, sleeping with our babies, feeding them from our bodies, taking up a lot of our time, 
not getting a lot of sleep, that doesn't jive with modern life, right? So people are looking to science and evidence to make them feel better about themselves and be like, oh my God, I really don't want to do this thing. What does the evidence actually say? But we have to understand that these studies are not perfect. They're not the end-all be-all. It's hard to do ethical studies on things like breastfeeding and parenting and it's just really hard. You know, we're not going to have a lot of randomized control trials, which is the gold standard on evidence. We're not going to have, it's just unethical. You can't be like, you don't breastfeed, you breastfeed, and we'll come back in 10 years and see. It's just too, there's too many confounding factors. You know, there's recall bias. In a lot of the studies, they're not differentiating between they're just saying, oh, you're breastfed, but they don't define how long that is. Um, a lot of them are observational. So while it may feel good for people to look at these studies to try to alleviate guilt as far as whatever their parenting choices are, and I've done it too, you know, um, the studies are not foolproof. Okay, so do we really need studies to tell us that something that's literally coming out of our bodies that is designed for our babies is better than a commercially manufactured man-made product? I don't know. For me, no. But people sometimes do. So the whole breastfeeding is overrated attitude, I think it all stems from Emily Oster. Um... You know, she wrote a bunch of books. Her first book was Expecting Better, and it was popular in the crunchy circles because she kind of gave evidence for things like, oh, it's fine to drink during pregnancy. It's fine to eat sushi. Let's not freak out. Here's what the evidence said. So that book became very popular in crunchy circles. At some point, it kind of flipped. Okay, so I read Crib Sheet, too, and that one was all about data-based parenting and it covered topics like sleep training, breastfeeding, daycare, I think. So she kind of just keeps progressing in age, I guess, of the child of the advice as far as like the age of the children that she's advising on. And then she has another one called the family firm. So it's just you know, what does the evidence say on these parenting decisions? And people look to that as like the gold standard. Um, but that's okay if you don't look to that as the gold standard. Like I said, why are we looking to these studies to show that, like I said, something coming out of your boobs is better? So I really think this breastfeeding is overblown thing came from her because everyone that I see that says it cites, cites Emily Oster. So... The two studies that Emily Oster has used to say that breastfeeding benefits are overblown are called the sibling study and then the probit trial. So like I said, randomized controlled trials is considered the gold standard in science because it's you have a control group where you're saying these people haven't had the intervention or whatever it is and then you have a randomized group of people that have had the intervention and 
ideally it would be double blind, which means neither the people participating or the, the study, the people that are running the study know who's had the intervention. That's completely impossible for breastfeeding to begin with. Randomized controlled trials, there's not going to be a lot of them on breastfeeding to begin with. So Emily Oster says, well, like, these are really the only two studies that are even close to a randomized controlled trial. Even though they're not, they are the closest, the best quality evidence. So she's using the, I guess, hierarchy of evidence saying that these are the closest to the best quality evidence. So that's why she highlights these two. So she kind of summarizes these two to kind of basically draw the conclusion that breastfeeding isn't that beneficial. Okay, so the sibling study was, um, this actual study is called, Is Breast Truly Best? Estimating the Effect of Breastfeeding on Long-Term Child Well-Being in the United States Using Sibling Comparison. So the thing with sibling trials um sibling studies is because they can control for any of your confounding variables among moms like obviously the the children are the same race they're the same income they're the same education level they're the same health status so you're essentially having a control for all those confounding variable variables like i said it's hard to tease out the effects of breastfeeding because there are too many confounding variables so they have one child in the family that's breastfed, one that has it. And they say, well, the children, everything else is the same. And the only thing that is different is breastfeeding. So now you can tease out health differences that are due to breastfeeding. And the study analyzed the health and academic metrics of 1,773 children from 665 families. So they're saying, well, look, if there's two children from the same family, one breastfed and one not, the breastfed person should be much healthier, according to, you know, lactivists. So here's the problem with the study. So basically, so the results, the study was checking for differences in things like obesity, asthma, parent attachment, behavior, academic performance, reading comprehension, math skills, vocabulary, memory-based intelligence, and hyperactivity. So all of these academic measurements, all of these except the academic measurements, which obviously came from school reports, the rest of them came from surveys, okay? So the results were that the breastfed children had a lower risk of NEC, which is a gastrointestinal disease that you can get in infancy, you know, premature babies are prone to this, Fewer allergic react rashes and gastrointestinal illnesses, fewer ear infections, lower risk of breast cancer for mom. So those are the definitive results that showed better, better outcomes in the breastfed children. But they're saying everything else is the same. So Emily Oster now uses this study to draw the conclusion that, yeah, breastfeeding might lower your risk of like the stomach bug and ear infections for a couple of years, but outside of that, it's it's not going to affect anything. Okay, whatever, if that's what you want to use to make your decision. However, the problems with this study is there's no definition on how long the mom's breastfed for. Could have been one day, could have been three years. No definition. Um, the surveys, like parent attachment, you're just going to ask the mom 
well, how attached is your child? These are subjective surveys. So it's kind of hard to tease out actual results based on a survey. Okay. So there's actually there's a, there's also no saying what happened to the family between the two children. Circumstances changed. There could have been divorce. There could have been change in circumstances, change in health, change in income. We don't really know what happened between the first and the second child and what is affecting their health. So that's the one study, okay? Also, these aren't anything to shake a stick at. I mean, lower risk of breast cancer for mom, it like definitely shows that. So all those things, I think cumulatively, thinking about all the ER visits, urgent care visits, things like NEC, stomach bug, ear infections, you're talking about a huge, huge reduction in, in medical costs over a population, Okay. Okay, so there's that study. The other study she uses to say that breastfeeding is not a big deal is called the PROBIT trial, which is probably the closest to a randomized control trial you're going to get with breastfeeding, the promotion of breastfeeding intervention trial. So this wasn't, this wasn't a, the intervention isn't actually breastfeeding. The intervention is medical staff was given an 18-hour course on breastfeeding, and then the dyad, 17,000 pairs, some of them were randomly assigned to have the doctors teach them what they learned in that 18-hour course. So some of the moms had instruction or what they call breastfeeding intervention based on that course the, the staff took, and then some of them did not, and it was random. Obviously, this cannot be double-blind because the doctors know which women were they were teaching. So half the women received breastfeeding instruction in the hospital, half didn't. And they're going to say, well, more, bre- more women breastfed in the intervention group, in the group that got the instruction. So now they have a cohort of women and babies where they're saying, these are all similar type of people and these people breastfed more and these people didn't. So let's see the outcomes. Okay, so here's the problems with these this study. Some of the moms in the control group breastfed anyway, meaning some of the moms that didn't receive instructions breastfed anyway. Similarly, some of the moms in the in the group that received the instruction didn't breastfeed. So you can see how that kind of muddies the waters when you're trying to compare babies that are breastfed and not breastfed, but the babies in the group that are supposed to be breastfed are not and vice versa. So also the breastfeeding rates were still pretty low in both groups with less than 30% at 12 months. So there's the problem right away. And it's not really a randomized study on breastfeeding, but it's a randomized study on breastfeeding instruction. So even with all these weird, I guess, problems, there were statistically significant differences between the two groups that favored the breastfed infants, including lower incidence of stomach bug illness, eczema, and then lower rates of SIDS based on clinical reports. So 
And then they didn't find a difference in the rates of respiratory illness, but there it's probably because, like I said, the data was conf- was just got all mixed up. So that's the problems with those studies, okay? And the researchers even said, like, the reason they probably didn't find a difference in the rates of respiratory illness was because a lot of moms in the non-intervention group breastfed up to three months. So this study, I don't think it proves anything, but it's the other study that Emily Oster uses to say that breastfeeding is, this is like the gold standard uh, study that she uses to say that it doesn't matter. So there you have it. Those are the two studies that Emily Oster uses and then everyone copies her and says breastfeeding is overrated. You can find tons of tons of studies on breast the benefits of breastfeeding. Like I said, do we really need to look to studies to to find this out? I don't know. I don't think so. But if you want to, you can find stuff. Okay, next segment. So I asked you guys to ask me questions on Instagram and through my email list about this topic, about the whole benefits of breastfeeding slash breastfeeding is overrated topic and you guys delivered. So there's a lot of good questions, but I guess one of the most common ones was, is breastfeeding really detrimental to mental health or does breastfeeding really cause depression because that's one of the myths and one of the statements we see perpetuated on social media all of the time. So like I said, that's a myth. Breastfeeding actually increases the release of oxytocin, which is the love hormone that, you know, you're getting that when you have contractions, when you have an orgasm, when you breastfeed, it bonds you to your baby, it makes you feel good. So it doesn't make scientific sense or biological sense that breastfeeding would cause depression. So breastfeeding after pregnancy facilitates the appropriate hormonal response for the body. Like that's what your body is expecting, okay? Your body is expecting the rush of oxytocin to continue after labor with breastfeeding. And Many studies show a correlation between postpartum depression rates and breastfeeding for more than three months, meaning like a negative correlation. There's less depression when you breastfeed for more than three months. Now, where this comes in is when you stop breastfeeding before you wanted to stop or stopping breastfeeding because of pain or difficulty, that's associated with an increased risk of postpartum depression. So we have to really think about what is the real problem here. Is the problem breastfeeding itself or is it that people aren't getting the proper support to breastfeed and that's causing them pain and suffering and depression because they had a goal and they weren't supported to meet it. You hear a lot about, oh, the pressure to breastfeed, the pressure just is too much. We, we got to stop putting pressure on themselves. Is this really pressure or is this just what you want to do biologically, instinctually, logically? Is breastfeeding just what you want to do and you really wanted it and you did not receive the correct support and that is very painful. So I think that's where the lines get kind of crossed as far as breastfeeding causing postpartum depression 
Now, another reason that breastfeeding might reduce postpartum depression is holding your baby close for long periods of time. It's associated with reduced risk. And this may be kind of a proxy effect of breastfeeding. So if you're pumping or you don't directly breastfeed, you can still get that oxytocin by holding your baby skin to skin. So yeah, breastfeeding is not detrimental to your mental health. And I really think if you want to breastfeed, it's not just a, oh yeah, I'll try and I'll see what happens. It's a recipe for disaster. You really have to educate yourself because as soon as you're in that hospital bed and the baby isn't latching and all of a sudden they have jaundice, you're just going to start getting pressure to use formula and say, well, it doesn't really matter anyway. It's a recipe for disaster. So you need to make sure you are preparing Okay, another common question that I got was, how does it decrease cancer risk for moms? So as found in the study, it reduces the breast cancer risk for moms, okay? Every year of breastfeeding is associated with a 4.3 risk reduction in invasive breast cancer. Does that mean you're not going to get breast cancer 100% if you breastfeed? No, that this is this talking about risk reduction, okay? It's because of the suppression of estrogen. It's inversely associated with breast and ovarian cancers. Estrogen is um more estrogen dom- dominance is is associated with breast and ovarian cancer. So when you suppress your estrogen for a significant portion of your life with pregnancy and breastfeeding, you can lower your risk of those types of cancers. So never breastfeeding is associated with a 1.3-fold higher risk of ovarian cancer compared with ever having breastfeed. Now, what the evidence really shows is that long, natural-term breastfeeding provides the most protection So not just like one or two years, but like a significant portion of your childbearing years, having that estrogen suppression is provides the most decreased risk. We're talking like five, six, seven, eight years. Um, Does that mean it's not worth it to breastfeed for one year? No, I'm just saying the longer, the better. So those are our questions for today. Okay, our next segment is going to be breastfeeding stories where I share with you one of your experiences meeting breastfeeding challenges and coming out on the other side. This is not meant to scare you out of breastfeeding if you're pregnant right now being like, oh my God, look at all these awful things that could happen. No, it's meant to inspire you to understand that you are capable of overcoming challenges and you can do it, and you are strong. So today I have Jamie, and she has a really crazy story of breastfeeding through a custody battle and domestic abuse. So I really appreciate her sharing her story. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And check out the resources that we mentioned in the show notes if you're struggling with this. Um, Feel free to reach out. today's breastfeeding story I have Jamie here and she's going to share her experience trying to breastfeed while in a custody battle so why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your experience and kind of just 
what challenges you faced during breastfeed and how you overcame them. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, my name's Jamie. Um, I'm 30 and I have a four-year-old little boy and um, I started going through like custody issues right basically at the beginning, very soon after my son was born. Um, and thankfully I didn't, you know, like fortunately I didn't face any of the things like I feel like a lot of new moms face with like mastitis or supply issues and like latching issues. I was extremely fortunate to not have to deal with those things. And I honestly think it's because just, you know, God knew or my body knew just like what was about to happen um, for like our benefit. And I know in every case, it probably doesn't work out that way. Um, but I started out with a quote unquote supportive spouse um, who wanted me to breastfeed because he participates in like a health science field. And he was really into starting the baby's, you know, immune system and gut microbiome off on breast milk. And I was really excited about that while pregnant because I was like, oh, great. This is going to turn out wonderfully because I knew, honestly, I knew very little about breastfeeding, but I knew having your partner support it meant like the world to breastfeeding outcomes. Um, but along that same time, like during my pregnancy, I found out that there were some pretty severe, like addiction issues with my spouse. And basically that's what led to me leaving after having the baby. And then, yeah, so, <laughs> um, that's basically the big struggle that I faced by I'm sure a lot of completely solo parenting moms who like did their pregnancy by themselves and gave birth by themselves um, can attest to just like doing everything just like alone. Um, it's not easy. And with breastfeeding, it's really hard because other people want to start helping. And it's just, you're trying to ask them for help in other avenues. And sometimes it doesn't um, work out that way because they want to do what they want to do to help you, not what will actually help you. Um, now, but... was everything going well? Um, like when you left, like was breastfeeding going well and stuff? It was, and yeah. What kind of, I guess, barriers did you face after you left? Um, besides just doing it all by yourself? Yeah. Um, so I found out through some like intel, um, that there was a beginning to like petition the court, petition a judge, um, to get me to stop breastfeeding, like to legally stop me from breastfeeding my child. Um, and if you can like wrap your head around this, it, it's, it's crazy to me to think that can even be a thing. Um, and sometimes as like a breastfeeding mom with like an infant who is still way under six months old, you know, who's not eating any solids whatsoever, that a judge can actually tell you that you're not allowed to breastfeed your child. Um, it, or they like blame the mom in that situation by being like a helicopter parent or overprotective 
or using that as an excuse as to why like the dad can't have access to the child which of course is complete bs <laughs> if you are a healthy happy father or parent why would there need to be a bar to access to a child just honestly that's a different topic obviously <laughs> but um and so they were trying to get the pediatrician to be on their side and um thankfully I was there like when he was talking to the pediatrician and he was trying to get her to say that mom had to stop breastfeeding because I think his attorney must have said the only way that they could really get me to stop breastfeeding is with like the backing of like a physician that it's not necessary um to breastfeed uh, because he had had supervised visits at this point and I guess our son was having issues taking the bottle which he would never tell me he's not going to communicate that to me he would let the child starve um rather than let me feed the child um so I was there at the doctor's appointment and the dad had asked the pediatrician yeah I'm struggling feeding him with a bottle and he doesn't want anything else other than breast milk and the pediatrician like looked him square in the face and was like if baby's having trouble with the bottle he needs to spend more time with mom and less time with dad and I was just like just shocked at that support now I known like our pediatrician was pretty supportive of breastfeeding but she was also extremely shocked that I was never supplementing with formula because they always use that vitamin D and all that kind of <laughs> excuse. Um, but she was in full support of me and our breastfeeding journey and our breastfeeding relationship. And she knew that having dad coming in between that was going to obviously severely impact the health of our child because he clearly admitted that the baby wasn't latching onto a bottle when he was trying to feed him. Um, and also just through that, um, I was thankful to keep up my supply, uh, because I dropped like a lot of weight. Um, I don't know if it was just from, you know, breastfeeding or how just my body reacted to it or just all the stress I thought I was eating. Um, but in hindsight, I wasn't eating and that's why like I dropped like 20, 30 pounds, like really quickly, um, just from basically like, like eight weeks postpartum. to like four months postpartum, I dropped that. Um, and that was like on top of losing like the postpartum weight and stuff like that. Um, obviously I gained a healthy weight back, but, um, I was kind of shocked that I didn't drop my supply um through all the stress that I felt like my body was under um but I definitely think just like my blind determination to have a successful breastfeeding relationship um really positively impacted me in this whole situation and um also like determination when somebody tries to tell you not to do something or that you're not allowed to do something. So that threat of being told you're not going to be allowed to breastfeed your child. if You don't want to endure abuse and addiction. 
um, excuse me. <laughs> um, so, and that, I think a lot of that like pushed me, not pushed me. I was very enjoyably, or I was very much enjoying our breastfeeding relationship, um, and experience at the time. So, uh, again, yeah, it's not the normal like mastitis or low supply struggle, but, um, I think it's pretty unique in that aspect, but, um, and in like the family core aspect, it's not super unique. So what ended up getting the petition dropped? Just the pediatrician's testimony? Yeah, they decided not to go through with it. Um, and again, like that's definitely, yeah. So they just decided not to go through with it because they figured it just wasn't going to work and it was going to make him look a little bit more controlling, I guess. Um, Do you do you have any like tips or resources that if anybody's going through this, they can access or recommendations? I definitely think getting a lactation consultant, mapping out like a feeding recommendation and having like your pediatrician signing off on it um, really helps because it just gives that added support that you have to people who are involved in, you know, infant care. Um, supporting the mom and her breastfeeding goals and breastfeeding relationship with the child. Um, and having a good, yeah, just making sure the pediatrician that you choose up front, if you know you're going to be going into something like this, that they're supportive of breastfeeding. Because unfortunately, even if somebody were to get like a lactation consultant to write a nice feeding recommendation, if the pediatrician doesn't approve it, you know, I think that um, an attorney who really knows how to do something to hurt someone else is going to be able to get a judge to agree to it because they're going to make it look like the breastfeeding mom is like the bad person in this situation. Well, it's kind of like a crapshoot with a pediatrician because many will not will say, oh, it's useless after six months or 12 months so you're lucky mm -hmm. that you've got like a good one or unless you did your homework before. That's why I, I highly suggest if you're going to be breastfeeding, make sure your pediatrician is like on board with it. I mean, you don't know. You didn't know you were going to have to go through this. So no matter what, you should definitely look for a breastfeeding supportive pediatrician. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you follow Caitlin Jorgensen on I Instagram do, yeah. I will tag her in the show notes too but um that's who I would refer to because I had someone you know I had I had had a couple of people reach out to me with this issue and I'm like I'm not very experienced but go check out Caitlin um mm -hmm. she's a great victim advocate and I think she also talks about how like it might be beneficial to go to a pediatrician when you're dealing with something like this. So there is like a paper trail because like you said, the people in the court are going to look at the pediatrician as like, you know, the authority. They're going to mm -hmm. look and at them and be like, okay, well, they know what they're talking about Not more than like a lactation consultant. Um, so, I mean, I know we have a lot of I have a lot of, in my community, people that don't go to a pediatrician, but um, I know that Caitlin, I've I've seen her say that. Mm -hmm. okay. And I agree with that, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? 
I don't think so. <laughs> okay, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. That's all for today's podcast. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and consider leaving a review if you haven't. It helps others find the podcast. Find me on Instagram at Instinctual Mothering and TikTok. And I'll see you next week.